As we come now before the very Word of God, uh, turn in your Bibles or the Bible you find there in the pew to the book of Hosea. There's a page number if you're using a pew, pew Bible there in your bulletin. Uh, we'll finish out chapter 2 uh, this morning in Hosea. And before we read, would you please pray with me? Lord God, your your word tells us that whatever was written in the former days was written for our instruction, that through the endurance and encouragement of the scriptures we might have hope. So Lord, would you use these things now to plant your hope deeply in us? Would you guide us now by your spirit, open our eyes to see, our minds to believe, and our hearts to trust you in these things. We ask your presence now by your spirit, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. This is Hosea in chapter 2. I want to pick up here in verse 14 and then carry through the end of the chapter. Uh, we'll begin here by listening to the Lord himself speaking in this context. This is Hosea chapter 2, beginning in verse 14. Therefore, behold, I will allure her and bring her into the wilderness and speak tenderly to her. And there I will give her her vineyards and make the valley of Acre a door of hope. And there she shall answer as in the days of her youth, as at the time when she came out of the land of Egypt. And in that day, declares the Lord, you will call me my husband. No longer will you call me my Baal, for I will remove the names of the Baals from her mouth, and they shall be remembered by name no more. And I will make for them a covenant on that day with the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens, and the creeping things of the ground. And I will abolish the bow, the sword, and war from the land. And I will make you lie down in safety, and I will betroth you to me forever. I will betroth you to me in righteousness and in justice, in steadfast love and in mercy. I will betroth you to me in faithfulness, and you shall know the Lord. And in that day I will answer, declares the Lord, I will answer the heavens, and they shall answer the earth, and the earth shall answer the grain, the wine, and the oil, and they shall answer Jezreel, and I will sow her for myself in the land, and I will have mercy on no mercy. And I will say to not my people, you are my people. And he shall say, you are my God. This is the word of the Lord. Now, it's been a few weeks here since I've been away. Let me remind us of what we know so far in the book of Hosea. The Lord, in the beginning of this book, has told the prophet Hosea to do a very strange thing. That is, that Hosea is to marry one whom the Lord calls a wife of whoredom. I bet he was thrilled with that command. And then Hosea and his wife of whoredom were to have children, children of whoredom. 
And as scandalous as that sounds, and it is scandalous, this was not to be edgy, you know, not just to be controversial in some way, nor is it so that Hosea could be relatable, you know, that, that he's going to identify with tough experiences that, that people have, nor is it even just to belittle or demean Hosea's wife and children. The point of this command from God is that Hosea's family would function as a living parable to the people. That is, they were to mirror the relationship between the Lord and his people, Israel. Uh, Hosea and his wife of whoredom had three uh, children out of that marriage, which were given names to foreshadow what was to come for Israel. Their three names essentially mean war, no mercy, and not my people. Yikes. And where we ended here last time we were together is that the Lord has now taken Israel, his bride, into court. Not literally, of course. Metaphorically, he brings her into court. And the Lord, of course, is supreme over all. So he's, he's the prosecutor and the judge and the jury. He needs no verdict from anyone outside of himself. But still, the Lord in this courtroom calls up witnesses and evidence and testimony to show what Israel has done in her unfaithfulness. It's a hard section to listen to. And it's especially painful, particularly at the end. The last verses in verse 13 ends like this. She adorned herself with her ring and jewelry and went after her lovers and forgot me, declares the Lord. So now what? You know, all... All the evidence is out on the table. Everything is open for everyone to see. Israel is clearly guilty of this radical unfaithfulness to God. So what then is the court sentence for her? According to the law of God, there's a mandated penalty in cases like this, which is not just to get a divorce. It's much... uh, harder than that. Back in Leviticus, we hear in Leviticus 20, verse 10, if a man commits adultery with the wife of his neighbor, both the adulterer and the adulteress shall be put to to death. So now with all this evidence out on the table, a death sentence would be fitting here for Israel, this adulteress. And yet that's not the next word we hear from the Lord. His next words instead are these. Therefore, behold. Let me pause there just a moment before we move on. Some translations I know don't include that little word behold. Uh, because behold's not really a common... I don't go around saying behold very much in my regular life. It's not a common word for us. But it pains me when, when some translations don't include it. The word is in the original Hebrew, and it's an important word. Behold in the scripture means look, watch, you know, pay attention. This is the important part. Even if you don't notice it, it's in pretty big parts of scripture. Behold the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, 
and you shall call his name Emmanuel. Behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all the people that unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior. And behold, I stand at the door and knock, and if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in. So the behold is to to zoom in our attention. Behold, this is it. Behold, now, now here, behold, gavel, gavel, gavel. The courtroom verdict is about to be announced. Here it is, 13. She went after her lovers and forgot me, declares the Lord. Therefore, behold, I will allure her and bring her into the wilderness and speak tenderly to her. Can we just pause a moment and soak in that? Here's this very exposed courtroom setting where everything, your most vulnerable, is all laid out. Courtroom sentence about to be announced. And the next word is not, therefore, behold you. Therefore, behold, you are condemned. Therefore, behold, you will pay. Therefore, behold, you owe me. Therefore, behold, you have sinned and you deserve hell even. All of those things could have been fitting here, but that's not what we hear. It's therefore, behold, I. And the Lord speaks. He doesn't speak with bitterness or spite or hostility. He announces his tenderness. Behold, I will speak tenderly to her, he says. Literally, it means I will speak to her heart. I don't know about you, but when, when we think about the Lord's tenderness towards sinners, at least for me, maybe also for you, my mind immediately goes to the scene in John chapter 8, you know, where, where there's the woman who's caught red-handed in adultery, and she's about to be stoned to death, according to the law. And there's this big dramatic scene. This is where Jesus says the famous words, he who is without sin, let him cast the first stone. And then in that scene, kind of one by one, people trickle out until everyone has left except for the the adulterous woman and Jesus. And Jesus says to her, I don't condemn you. Go and sin no more. That's tenderness. That's speaking to her heart. And as powerful and gentle as that scene is there in John, this instance in Hosea goes even a step further than that. Because here in Hosea, this is not just any adulteress that the Lord might just run across. This is his adulteress. The Lord's own bride is very 
chosen one who has rejected him for other lovers. And it's not just that he doesn't condemn her. He goes further than that. He doesn't condemn her, but he instead even pursues her, woos her. Behold, therefore I will allure her back. He moves from the courtroom into a sort of courtship here. You know, sometimes when you go to weddings, it's the place we hear it the most. You know, the, the 1 Corinthians 13, the love chapter. 1 Corinthians 13, by the way, is about love, not just in marriage. It's about love everywhere. So it applies to all Christians in all contexts, whether you're married or not. Love is still fitting at a wedding. You know, you know the, the lines. I, I won't cite it all. But love is patient. Love is kind. It's not irritable or resentful. Love, you know, love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. And the summary at the end is love never fails. This is God showing the epitome of that unfailing love. Because love is not just when she's fun and laughing and we're having a good time. Love is not just when he is cute and sweet and bought me flowers. The love that never fails will endure even when the wife of whoredom leaves and chases after other lovers and forgets the Lord. That's the love we see from God here. The application for us is not, is not people Go out and love like this. You know? God gave us this example of love to follow, so you go and love each other too. Although I hope we want that. Do you see how lovely this is? I want to strive for this. I, I hope that we're seeking to grow in this sort of love by God's power and spirit. And yet at the same time, the goal is not you go out and love like this. The, the application is just behold it. Just see here the God who is love. You know, look at this love now that surpasses knowledge and just, just breathe it in. Bask here in the very glory of God who is our hope. Now, there is something else that goes along with this that we need to notice about this hope that the Lord gives here. Because in this section that we've just read here at the end of chapter 2, what the Lord says about Israel in this section is still ahead of them. It's still future. Of course, the Lord does love them now, but you'll notice the trajectory if you read all the way through. He says, I will allure her. I will speak tenderly to her. I, I will give her vineyards. There, there's a kind of a forward lean in this. He repeats several times in this section the, the phrase, in that day, there's, there's, a, there's a forward direction. And he speaks about this in, in the sense that there is a hope that is secure in the days ahead. 
You may have noticed in verse 15, he speaks about our hope as a door. Verse 15, I'll give her her vineyards and make the valley of Acre a door of hope. What is that? It sounds important for us. He's going to take a valley of acre and make it a door of hope. What is that? Now, if we were Israelites in Hosea's day, we would immediately recognize that reference right away, just because locals know local things, yeah? So if someone says, hey, we're going to the rocket, most, if not all of us, would know what we're talking about in this area. But if you don't live here, people would have no idea what you're saying. Outsiders wouldn't be aware of this. We're a little bit of an outsider to this culture here. So we need to unpack and explore this a bit to understand what's going on. The Valley of Acre is a real place in the Middle East. And acre means trouble. It's a place called the Valley of Trouble. And it got its name from a particular incident in Joshua chapter 7. I won't read it all, I'll summarize in a moment, where there's a man and a bar of gold and a tent. That's how it got its name. Let me ramp us up into that situation. So in Joshua chapter 7, here's what's going on. The book of Joshua opens with, with the people of Israel having spent 40 years wandering in the wilderness because they had disobeyed the Lord. But now it's finally time. 40 years passed and the time has come. They get to go into the promised land of God. And so the first city that they encounter after they cross over the Jordan into the promised land is the city of, do you know? Jericho. It's the first city they encounter. Big city, powerful city, fortified city, but they're told that the Lord has given Jericho into their hands and that they are to devote everything in Jericho to the Lord after they conquer it. And so you know all that happens here. There's even songs about it that we sing to our kids, that they're to march around the city of Jericho with with trumpets, and they do this for seven days, and then on the seventh day, the walls... And the, the Israel, the, the warriors come in, and Israel wins. Woohoo! And they know that the Lord is with them, and, and the hearts of the people of the land are melting because of Israel and their God. And so, next, we have to move on. The next city is the city of Ai. A-I. The city of Ai. And it's tiny in comparison to Jericho. It's sort of like if people had crossed over the the Mississippi River and conquered Hannibal and and then moved on to Rensselaer. You know, it'd be like, okay, Hannibal, that was hard. All right, Rensselaer, we got this thing covered. And so they think it's going to be a piece of cake. They send just two or 3,000 soldiers, which seems like overkill even then. But I wins. The people of I trounce. Israel. And so, so Joshua then, you know, that's mind-boggling. He goes to the Lord, you helped us with Jericho. What is going on here? You know, are, do you help us with one and then abandon us with the other? And the Lord tells Joshua, here's what's going on, Joshua. Israel has broken faith with me. Israel has sinned and transgressed my covenant. They have stolen the devoted things out of Jericho. 
Things that were to be devoted to me, they took. And so I will not be with you until this is resolved. So here's what happens on the next day. Joshua calls a meeting. We got to deal with this, folks. All of Israel gathers together. And he says to all the people uh, that uh, there are devoted things in your midst, he says. And it must be purged. So then he begins to cast lots for each of the tribes of Israel until the tribe of Judah is taken. Judah comes forward. He begins to cast lots for each of the clans in Judah that one clan is taken. He begins to cast lots with each of the families in that clan, and one family is taken. And can you imagine that you are the guilty party here? And you're watching the people narrow down and narrow down and narrow down. Eventually, the lot is cast upon one man. There's one man left standing, chosen by lot. His name is Achan, whose name, by the way, means troubler. Mom and dad knew it was coming, I guess. I don't know. But they confront Achan about this, and Achan bursts out in confession. He says, it's true. I have sinned against the Lord. At Jericho, I saw some of the devoted things, and I coveted them, and I took them, and I hid them. And he brings them all to his tent, and sure enough, among a few other things, there's cloak and silver. Here's now a man and a bar of gold that he stole and buried in his tent. Guilty guy. So now what? Achan is guilty. Next thing that has to come is the sentence, there, bang, 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 therefore behold, we forgive you, Achan. You, know, you confessed and you said you're sorry, so just, just don't do it again. Is that what happens? If you know the story, that is not what the Lord commands. It ends very differently. This is the command of the Lord at the end of Joshua chapter 7. Here's the, the final words. Verse 25, Joshua said to Achan, why did you bring trouble on us? The Lord brings trouble on you today. And all Israel stoned him with stones. They burned them with fire and stoned them with stones, and they raised over him a great heap of stones that remains to this day. Then the Lord turned from his burning anger. Therefore, to this day, the name of that place is called the Valley of Acre, or the Valley of Trouble. That's the reference. From this incident here now, the people of Israel renamed this location to remember this incident. And the Lord now tells Hosea and the people that he will take the valley of Acre, the valley of trouble, and make it into a door of hope. Now I know 
I know that there are some hard things about Achan's situation that sometimes unsettle people. Some of it may be even rightly so. It can be scary. And, and sometimes people say, you know, oh, the punishment that Achan got seems really unfair. That seems really harsh for just taking a couple of things. You know, other people will say, you know, how did these other people get dragged into the effects of this one guy's sin? Other people died because of this. And, and some others might even say, you know, then why, he didn't even get a second chance, you know? Didn't even get a shot to redeem himself. I, I don't have time uh, to address all of those challenges today. We just have to trust that the Lord is always right and good. He is never less than holy and loving. And that's true all the time. But what we need to see today is this, okay? If I lost you in some of that story, come back here. This is what we need to see about the Valley of Acre. Sin before God is not just forgiven. It must be put to death. Did you hear me? Sin before God is not just forgiven. It must be put to death. That is, in order for there to be a real door of hope, sin has to die. You know, if sin is just put to sleep, it can wake back up again. No. If we just kind of push it to a side, then it tends to run back in and we're worse off than we are now. That's not very hopeful. In Hosea, the picture that the Lord gives us here is a picture of real hope that's lasting. He talks in the later section of chapter 2 about their, the people's mercy and safety and fruitfulness of the land, that, that there'll be no bow or spear of war, that they'll know the Lord in righteousness and justice and love and mercy and faithfulness. And, and again, we will be his people and he will be our God. And the way the Lord speaks about his people in that day is he says, I will betroth her to me forever. Did you hear that? Betroth, meaning engaged. I will enga be engaged to her, not renewing our old marriage vows. This is not just, I'm going to patch up our differences and we're going to try it again and give it another go. This is not renewing anything. It's making it new that is completely new. That's the hope here. So something in her, in a sense, dies in the valley of trouble. And it becomes a door of hope because then she is a new person, a new woman, a new, in the words of the New Testament, a new, a new creation. That's much more hopeful than just, let's try again. What does this mean for you? A couple minutes here. Let me drive this bus right into our living room. Okay? We know all Christians sin throughout all of our lives. 
that's true. We do not cease to sin until the day we are glorified with the Lord after our death. And sometimes that sin is even very serious. You know, some of you may have the equivalent of gold bars sitting buried in your tents. Okay, so don't hear me make light of sin here. We, we need to reckon with those things and deal with our sin so that it can be rooted out of us. And yet, listen, at the same time, all who put faith in Jesus are united to Jesus. Which means that when Christ died for sin, we died with him. And when he was raised to life, we are raised with him. This is not just a renewing. Let's give it a fresh start, a redo, a second chance. It's not renewed. It is new. Actually new. And this is not something that happens for us later down the road. It happens to us now. We are made new now and forever. That's what Paul is talking about. This is where I'll end here in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Just a single verse. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. Listen, he says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Do you believe that? If you are in Jesus now, the old has passed away. The new has come. That's good news. That's hopeful news. Behold now, because of Jesus, we have died to sin in the Valley of Acre. But we are made alive again through the door of hope. Let's trust him for that. Would you pray with me? Lord, your power is great. You have not only created all things, but you create us as new creations in you. And we praise you for this. Help us to live and believe this that we would abide in your love now. Thank you for becoming the very door of hope for us. And we give you all praise in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.